Welcome to Season 4 of The Farcast, bringing you experts and insiders every week to help you navigate the economic and investing landscape. And now, here's your host, Michael Farr. Welcome to The Farcast. I am Michael Farr. Thanks so much for joining us again this week. It is June the 23rd. Now, uh, if I take 23 and I add 7, which would be 7 days, I'm going to be on June 30th, which takes me to the end of the quarter, end of June. We're rolling into July and 4th of July, and summer's upon us. Farcast continues to try and figure out what's going on on Wall Street, in Washington, and around the world that are going to affect your portfolios and our investment strategies. So we have a terrific forecast for you this week, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, we have uh, our great Dan Mahaffey joining us to explain what the changes are in Washington, what Congress has just done, why the Republicans uh, seem to be making some progress on having some voter IDs, and they're still fighting with Democrats. Boy, doesn't that come as a shocker. We're, we'll hear what President Biden is thinking about uh, new taxes, new spending proposals, and where he's willing to settle on infrastructure. That's going to affect stocks. That's going to affect Wall Street. And certainly, that's going to affect the world. So we want to get into that with Dan. And then our great friend from Hightower Advisors, the chief investment strategist, Stephanie Link, will be with us. Follow the link. Follow the link. We've got to do it, ladies and gentlemen. And we're going to hear what she thinks about investing through the summer. Remember, we used to hear sell in May and go away. Uh, you know, uh, our friend Jack Perugian suggested that perhaps we should just hedge in May and go away. That's what Jack was doing. Jack's been right on a whole lot of this. In segment one today, I'm going to give you just a few thoughts on the market and what I'm seeing and what we're hearing, and then we're going to get right to Dan Mahaffey. So a short first segment for you today on the Farcast. As always, thank you so much for joining us and getting the notes that we get from you from around the world and around the country, all of the tweets and everything else. Thank you, everybody, very much. We really do appreciate it. Okay, Jay Powell says that uh, 70s-style inflation is very unlikely. Actually, that's not what he said. He said it's very, very unlikely. He (laughs) double-varied us on the unlikely part for 70s-style inflation. For those of us who were around in the 70s and old enough to remember what we paid for things and, and, you know, we're even trying to take, you know, girls to movies and buy gasoline in the car and there were gas lines and everything else in the late 70s. That inflation was scary and those were the days of 18% interest rates and 16, 17% yield on treasuries. So that was a scary time. And so he says that's not going to happen again. Well, that's certainly going to be good for markets and good for us around the world if he's right. The fear is that he gets it wrong. The fear is that this transitory won't be so transitory and the rate of inflation will continue to grow. That word transitory, he's never been defined really. So Farr's definition is you're going to see prices go up and then they're going to start to level off. Why are they going to start to level off far? Well, because GDP growth is going to return to pretty much sub 2%, maybe 2% in the next couple of years. How can you say that so confidently far? Let me tell you why I say it so confidently. Because GDP growth is the sum of two numbers. You get GDP growth by adding the growth in the population to growth in productivity. Growth in population in the U.S. is now shrinking, so it's totally immigration 
at about seven-tenths of one percent. Total, if we're lucky, might even be a half of one percent. Then you add productivity. If we could see steady one percent, 1.1 percent productivity, that would be higher than we have seen, and that's going to take us to 1.6 percent GDP growth. So you can't see inflation for too long if your underlying economy simply isn't growing at all. That's why I think transitory means it's going to see a surge in prices as a result of all the money that's come in. We're seeing wage gains. People are making $17 an hour who are making $13 an hour. They're going to spend all that money right back onto the gallon of milk that now costs that much more. So quality of life isn't improved. It's just this episodic transitory inflation that's hitting us. Will it make a big difference? It will make a difference to asset prices. They will go up because they're measured in dollars. So things like stocks and bonds, things like basic materials, and things like stocks, those prices are going up, driven by a huge supply of money out there. So remember supply and demand from, from Econ 101? You've got a huge supply of dollars, and that creates demand. And the consumer has a lot of dollars, and they are demanding and driving prices higher. And all of a sudden, they get a raise at work, and they're getting $17 an hour instead of $13 an hour, and they want to spend that. Americans will spend almost more reliably than they'll do anything else. Give an American a buck, and he's going to spend it. Sad but true, folks. So the question here is, there are two big questions that I'm thinking about, and I'm almost done. How about that? You, that that's, that's, I just should get a little round of applause, a little at least a golf clap back there, Mary, don't you think? So, yeah. first of all, the big question I have is, will the Fed get it right or wrong? I'm inclined to think they're going to get it enough right that they're not going to sink the ship. You know, the old line is that bull markets don't ever die of old age. They're, they're killed. Bull, old bulls are killed, typically by the Federal Reserve, typically by the Federal Reserve getting policy wrong. The second big question I have, and this, this you know, makes me sound like a boomer uh, and a stodgy old guy, but the second big question is, do we ever have to pay for all this stuff? I mean, we're adding trillions of dollars to the national debt. We're going to hit $30 trillion in, nas in the national debt in, 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 in months now. We can measure it in months. Next year, $30 trillion in the national debt on a $22 trillion GDP. Now, come on. If I spend that much more in my house than I'm able to produce every year, I'm going to go broke pretty fast. Why can we create so much debt, and why are they saying it can go on? because the Federal Reserve steps in, buys a whole lot of bonds, and keeps interest rates really low. If it's like 0% interest rates, it doesn't matter how much debt I have. It doesn't cost me anything. And right now, think about this, ladies and gentlemen. I'm going to close with this. If the yield on the U.S. 10-year Treasury bond is 1.5%, and let's not say if, because it is 1.5%. 10-year Treasuries, 1.5%. Inflation is running at 4%. You are going to lose money. You are losing money lending, them, lending the government money. How do you make money in this kind of an environment? You borrow money. You borrow money. It's, 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 a, negative, it's a negative real return to loan them money. They're paying you back 1.5% while they're inflating, inflating that dollar 4% a year. So... Over, over every year, if inflation were to remain static at 4% and they were continue to pay you 1.5%, the price of goods and services is going to increase 4% a year while your purchasing power increases at 1.5% per year. That's it. It's just that simple. 
how long do we keep this up and will we ever have to pay it back? Somehow this modern monetary theory that we can live in la-la land forever just doesn't make sense to me. So finally, I was at the Matheson Financial Conference years ago and I was reminding that audience about that moment when we were all teenagers. And if you can pick, picture whichever your toughest parent was, uh, both of mine were tough, by the way. Uh, my father was a lot scarier, but my mother was a lot more articulate. Mom, mom, hands on hip and glaring at you at when I would stand there at 17 years old, she would look at me and say, what were you thinking? What were you thinking? And that was always chilling. And of course, I was 17. I wasn't thinking. Well, we know what I was thinking at 17. Uh, it, it wasn't about doing the stupid thing that I had just done. Don't you, can't you find that moment in our future uh, where someone of your grandchildren might look at you about this enormous debt when it gets to $40 trillion and say, hey, Pop-Pop, question here. What were you thinking? We're going to find out what Dan Mahaffey's thinking. Just one second. When we come back on the forecast. Welcome back to the forecast. And now here's your host, Michael Farr. Welcome back to the forecast. Joining me now, Stephanie Link, the great Stephanie Link. Follow the link. Hightower Advisors, Chief Investment Strategist, one of the smartest people you're going to talk to on Wall Street, a CNBC contributor. You see her on the Halftime Report. Uh, take it off a of mute and listen to Stephanie Link. You're going to learn something, ladies and gentlemen. Stephanie, it's a great pleasure to have you back on the Farcast. Thank you, Michael. It's a pleasure as always. Well, this has been, uh, it's been too long since you were here, so we need to get caught up. Tell us what you're thinking about markets, boy. Last week, uh, it was the uh, it was the death of value, and tech was back, and and everything was going on with the Fed. And then it seems that maybe the world didn't end over the weekend, and now we're back to the races. How do you see all this, and how do you make sense of it? So inter so interesting, and it's the question, right? Last week was painful for those of us that thought about reflation and thought about the economy improving and owning economically sensitive companies and reopening companies. And, and you know that's the way I've been positioned for a, a long time. But so it's been a strategy that has been very sound, right? I mean, this strategy has has kept you well balanced in your portfolios. And, 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 and I think... I, I, I would presume that that strategy has really uh, quelled a good bit of the volatility. Yeah, I mean, honestly, it's been a knock on wood. It's been a really good year. Uh, yep. Way, way, way better than I thought. But, but last week, got I got hit only because all of a sudden everybody thought, oh. Fed is changing, they're pivoting, and all of a sudden you're going to have lower growth, no inflation, and really low interest rates. And that's a recipe for growth, as you very well know. I'm in the other camp. And in fact, if you look at the PMI number today, that will tell you that whole thesis is wrong. We have above average trend growth. We have a little bit more inflation, not crazy rampant inflation. Commodities are coming down, that's good, but wages are going up. So you have a little bit of inflation, and yet you also have pretty interesting interest rates, right? 150, 10 year, that's kind of Goldilocks if you add it all up to me. That's a recipe for me wanting to own more risk on, maybe to own more economically sensitive cyclicals, 
So uh, that's where I'm at. And so got hurt a little bit last week, but I still very much believe that we are going to continue to see above average trendline economic growth because you know what? Stimulus isn't going away, Michael. You know this. You, you know, you're, you're, you're even stronger in terms of your, your uh, contacts in Washington um, in terms of what they're thinking. And they're not thinking you're about- gonna You're going to get it. You're going to get a trillion bucks. A trillion bucks. You're going to get a trillion bucks on top of all the trillions you've already gotten. Exactly right, exactly. So anybody that tells me, so I'm listening, so this is one number that I think is interesting, and I know you look at this stuff too. The architectural billings index, it's just a fancy way to say, what are the builders seeing? What is the surveys? What They look at these people and they say, every month they say, what, what do you see? Is there demand, is there not demand? It hit an all time high. Yeah. And not only that, but the economist at the architectural billings index company, said business is booming so much so we worry that we're not going to be able to get people inflation is running rampant so we've got to watch if we start to desell because things are so good um so i just think oh, by the way sort of the ecb economist he said the same right. thing which by the way you know the eurozone saw 15-year highs in their pmis this past month so it's not happening just in the us it's happening around the world I'm not saying that we're going to go nuts and inflation is going to be, um, um, again, rampant. I think, though, that it's higher than people expect. And I think growth is really strong uh, and it's going to stay above trend line for a long time this year and next year. And that's why I want to be where I am in terms of more more offense versus defense. I spoke with a mar Marine construction contractor in Delaware yesterday. He's been in business a long time. He, he told me two things. Uh, they build seawalls and docks and they do dredging and all of that sort of stuff. Uh, and he told me two things. One, he is booking, he is now booking work 30 months out. He, no. cannot, he cannot build your dock or touch your seawall 30 months out, number one. Number two, uh, he can't give you an estimate. He's had prices on his materials go up 17% three different times this year. He said, I can't give you an estimate and, and, and give you anything in writing that because I can't touch it for 30 months. I don't know. So if you want me to sign up and sign up for the job at those prices plus my margin, I'll do it. And I could take on all the work I could get. I could hire as many people as I can hire. And I absolutely, one, can't hire them. They're not there. They're making too much money at home. That's what he said. And... Uh, and, and so, but he's 30 months out and people are signing contracts. That's, and he won't give him an estimate. I mean, that, that, that reeks of a little higher inflation, doesn't it? To me, it does. I think um, parts of uh, inflation is, is definitely transitory. I get commodities have retraced. By the way, everyone's like, oh, lumber and copper and steel and aluminum, they've all retraced. Yes, they have, but guess what? Lumber is still up 120 It's still higher. Like right. you don't want to build a house so, right now. So to me, I'm like, okay, commodity prices could be transitory for I don't know however long. But then to me, it's the wage piece, to your point. Look, I went to a restaurant the other day, and we all have anecdotal um, data points. I went to a restaurant the other day in Connecticut, very popular place, big, big restaurant. And right. the, I, asked the, I asked the owner, hey, how's business? And he said, the business is booming. But I don't, I don't take reservations anymore because I only have six people working in my restaurant. I can't get anybody. And right. you have 
9.2 million job openings, jolts numbers. So yes. there are jobs to be had. You just can't get them. And how do you think you're going to get them? You're going to get them because you have to pay higher wages. And that's stickier inflation, in my opinion, versus commodity inflation. And so that's why I think some is transitory, some is not. Above trend line growth will continue. A little bit more inflation, low interest rates. I go back to what I say, Goldilocks. Goldilocks and I have plenty of names I like and we have earnings coming up and it's going to be so much fun. I can't wait to talk to you about them. Well, it's going to be fun when we get to see them. But with this much money out there, and, and, and I'm really interested in the 9.2 job openings, there's $4.6 trillion in money market, Stephanie. Yeah. $4.6 trillion. How does a market go down when you have all of these people earning nothing on money? You get a 6% pullback in some of these names and they start buying them again. But that's why that's why that's why we don't have more than four or five, six percent pullbacks. And that's why we've had more importantly, rotations in the market. It's been yes. all year long. It's been all about rotation. So for the first six months, five months of the year, January through May, value outperformed growth by 12 percent in last part of May into June. Growth has has caught up. That spread is now five percent. I personally don't think you necessarily want to be overloaded in growth. Um because I do think you're going to get above average growth in the economy, a little inflation, and, and, and eventually higher rates. And that's the recipe for value cyclicals and economically sensitive companies. But that doesn't mean you just abandon quality names. You and I have talked about this all the time. You and I love j and J. I'll buy j and J all day long. If it wants to lag, it can lag all. Uh, you want to buy right. CVS, I'm going to buy United, right? But at the same time, a little bit of Caterpillar, a little bit of Chevron, and also a little bit of Amazon. So there's lots to own. I mean, there are so many things to own. I, 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 do, think it's, I do think it's amazing. Uh, it, it creates kind of a problem, though, Stephanie, which is it, the rule is to buy low. And, 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 and nothing out there is really low. So anybody investing today is buying high with the notion that it's going higher. Mm -hmm. That always makes me nervous as, as, as a, you know, the old disciplined guy here. I'm trying to find prices that I like. I mean, I can find my CVSs. When I find a CVS that's 10 or 11 times earnings, growing earnings at 11% with a 3% dividend, paying down debt with a lot of good cash flow, looking at, I can compare it to other farms, I can compare it to other insurance, I can cover it to other PBMs, and they're all trading at higher multiples. So some of the parts, so I can buy that kind of a company. It's, it's, the, it's the ones that are you know growing at a really rapid rate that I'm buying this huge growth rate at a really high multiple that kind of makes me choke a little. I think you're I think you're spot on. I think you want to find balance sheets. You want to find number one market shares or number two. You want to find good management teams. You want to find catalysts. And then you also want to find good balance sheets and free cash flow. If you can get a good yield, that's terrific. So for, for me, one of my newer names, like a McDonald's, it's not cheap. But guess why it's not cheap? Because you're at trough earnings, because we haven't opened the economy. So they haven't experienced the operating leverage that they can. So those kinds of things, but it got a 2.2% dividend yield. That's a quality company, great free cash flow. He's going to raise the dividend every year. We know that they've done it for the last 35. So I think you're right. You want to buy low and sell high. It's hard to find right at this very moment. Um, last week, I had a company called Freeport McMoran fall 20% intraday. Sure. Intraday. Now, look, it's up 200% in the last year, but 20% intraday, like trying to pick a couple of different solutions and situations as we go along, trying to be tactical, but not trying to play this crazy time 
in terms of the markets as a whole. We have our disciplines. We have our names that we like. We don't day trade. We just find ways and try to be a little bit tactical along the way. And I think that's the smarter thing to do. Right. I, I mean, I think it's the only thing that you can do. You know, I, OK, I'm McDonald's. I have to tell you a quick side story because this was just cruel. Uh, I, 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 OK, I'm, I'm just going to tell you. I had my annual or every five-year colonoscopy this morning, and you, I'm not, I won't bore you with the prep, but needless to say, the day before you don't eat anything, you can drink clear liquids and things, you don't eat all day long, and I'm up at the crack of dawn, and I'm in there uh, waiting to be taken in for my colonoscopy, and this man comes in and sits two chairs from me with his bag of McDonald's <laughs> and opens it up. I mean, this was like, I mean, they, they should have done this at like Guantanamo, you know, at, to the to the prisoners down there. You know, when they when they somebody opens McDonald's anywhere near you, the smell of it lets you taste it. I mean, the smell of McDonald's is abs I don't know how they do that with the smell of the stuff that comes out of the McDonald's. But anyway, that was very cruel. I'm still very angry at, at you, sir. And and I, I may hate you a little. I think I really do. That was that was really awful. I was I was I was. You know what, you'll hate me less when I make a little bit of money. I'll make a lot of bit of money. I promise. And then I'll give you some money to go, and you can go after your colonoscopy. You can go back. You can go to McDonald's and buy Good. a grilled chicken sandwich, not a not a fried. No, no, no. I'd have to be the grilled, very healthy, because I'm, I'm certainly <laughs> going to do that. Stephanie, between now and the end of the year, you think we close higher. Tell us what you expect. Tell Fred and Ethel what they should be thinking about with their 401ks. And then we've got to go. I can't believe it. It's always so much fun talking to you. No, we could talk for hours on end and we look could. forward to more of these. We Thank should do that. Um, yeah. I, look, I, I don't think the momentum ends. I don't think that we are, we are, at, the, we are at the peak of growth, but I don't think that means we go from growth to deceleration huge. I think we stay strong above trend line. I think there's too much stimulus in the in the system. You just you just mentioned the infrastructure plan on top of the 55% of US GDP that we just put in last year. We have a hundred right. trillion dollars uh, in, 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 in global stimulus as well. And oh, by the way, we are really starting to see some great, great international growth numbers and PMIs across the world. So I do think we're gonna continue to see elevated growth. You can have some skeptics all you want. I'm not a skeptic. I'm a believer that you don't fight the Fed. The Fed is dovish. Powell told you that yesterday in the testimony. Don't listen to Bullard. That was crazy town talk. So I think, you know what, balance, but I think you want to tilt economically sensitive, meaning let's let's benefit as value's we, not dead. No, economy's not dead. I don't I don't think so. Value, let's by the way, stays year, in the winning sure. style box historically an average of thirty-three months. Thirty-three months value outperforms. It's been there for about five, ladies Thank and gentlemen. You. Don't call the death of value too early here. Listen to far on this one. <laughs> I love it. That's awesome. We're on the same page. There we go. So follow Link and listen to FAR. Stephanie Link, Chief Investment Strategist from Hightower Advisors, CNBC contributor on the Halftime Report, and one of the nicest, smartest people on Wall Street. Thanks so much, Stephanie. Thank you, Michael. Stay well. I'm going to try. When we come back, Dan Mahaffey from the Center for the Study of the Presidency and Congress to tell us what in God's name is happening in Washington. Please stay with us. Michael Farr and the Farcast are proud to support Heroes, Inc. Heroes supports the spouses and children of law enforcement officers and firefighters who gave their lives in the line of duty to the greater Washington, D.C. community. Their singular goal is to honor the supreme sacrifice made by these individuals by caring for their families. Heroes' work begins within 24 hours of the tragic loss 
continues indefinitely. We invite you to learn more about Heroes Mission at heroes.org. We hope that you will consider supporting Heroes as they endeavor to honor those who protect us. That's heroes.org. Heroes, here for you, here for good. And now, back to the Farcast and your host, Michael Farr. Thank you for joining us on the Farcast. And now, back to your host, Michael Farr. Welcome back. Great Farcast here today. Stephanie Link is always just terrific and, and just such a nice person. I always have such fun with her, and she's so thoughtful and so insightful. Joining us, speaking of thoughtful and insightful right now, our Washington expert, also our world expert, our China expert, the chief senior political analyst on the Farcast here as we come to the end of season four, also uh, in his day job at the Center for the Study of the Presidency and Congress, Dan Mahaffey. Welcome back, Dan. Michael, thank you as always for having me. You make it sound like I need to be Lucy and Peanuts with the doctor is in or something like that. That's the way uh, I always uh, feel when I get to talk to you. It's like, okay, let's go talk to the smart guy and figure out what's going on. Well, you're, uh, you're too kind, Michael. Thank you. Um, uh, you, you, Pam, Pam Scholl, did you hear that? Did you, did you hear? I, I'm still calling him the smart guy. Okay. That's his mother, just so that you know, folks. All right. Who is absolutely lovely and a good friend. Uh, Dan, we have, uh, we have the Hong Kong, uh, newspaper that's just been put out of print. Uh, free press is going. What else goes in Hong Kong? What's going on with China? And then there's a vote going on in Congress here in the U.S., in the Senate, uh, they're getting ready to go on uh, on break uh, here. They're going to be gone for quite a while. Do we get an infrastructure bill done? Let's. Where do you want to start? You want us to go to China? Let's go go abroad why start, first. Why don't we start with China? I think Hong Kong. You know, we we've seen that situation over the past several years where you've had the the growing crackdown on Hong Kong, the the end of free press, the end of the democracy movement there, and I think it, it increasingly puts the the business community in a position of how long can you trust Hong Kong for being what it had, that, that entrepot, that, that global hub where you were protected by the rule of law, you had an independent judiciary, uh, independent media, yet at the same time you had that financial and trade window to China. It was so important to have that balance of the two. And with Beijing really cramping down on Hong Kong, Look, if you're comfortable doing business in China, and I think everyone now who does business in China accepts that the, the, the rules of the road are very different over there, but it's just so tangible when you see newspapers being shut down, when you see uh, you know, journalists under arrest, uh, the, the new laws there, the national security laws, some of these people, they won't have a jury trial because Beijing can now say in a national security case, uh, Hong Kong doesn't get jury trials. All of those things are changing there and, and something that, you know, there's not much we can do as a as the nation, but it's something that business leaders need to be aware of, uh, as well as something where we just uh, you need to call China out for uh, destroying such a, a, a vital city and culture. And Jack Ma, right? Jack Ma, the head of Alibaba, has yeah. has been, you know, just uh, spending more time with his family lately at the request of the government. I mean, He's yes. just see it. I mean, you can be the one of the wealthiest multi-billionaires in the world. If you're in China, you're wherever China tells you to be. Is, is there an opportunity here, Dan, 
I mean, can you can you take that business center and move it to Singapore? I mean, is there anywhere where we could see a commercial center that's already somewhat established really uh, bl blossom? Yeah, I, look, I, you've you've seen stories of relocation to Singapore, to Seoul, to Tokyo. Uh, certainly, if you if you're worried about the Chinese government, you'll go to one of those places. If you want to keep doing business with the Chinese, though, you'll move to Shanghai or or into Shenzhen or Guangzhou. You'll you'll move in onto the mainland. So I I don't know about the future of Hong Kong if it has this you know if it's losing both. Uh, both that advantage of the rule of law as well as being that unique gateway to China. Right. Well, and this this is looks like toothpaste that does not get back in the tube. Is that is that right? And it and it goes back to and you mentioned that too with uh, with Jack Ma and it, it's uh, with with Alibaba and we remember their their subsidiary Ant Financial that has yes. that was going to have that big IPO that you know they basically saw a company getting too powerful over there you know some of his statements about the financial regulators were seen as an affront to Xi uh, and the party felt the need to cut him down to size and we see now the deal is that uh, you know Ant which is sort of a fintech company in China uh, the deal will go forward with them but they now have to work with the Chinese regulators so that all the data all the financial transaction information is available to the central party. Yeah. All right. Well, it, 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 it strikes me still as kind of sad. I'm, I'm depressed that this is, can really pick up this kind of steam. And there don't seem to be any consequences anywhere. Um, uh, it, just, it just makes me sad. Yeah, yeah I think that the biggest thing is to, to look at how you relocate elsewhere. And I guess as a country, uh, to make sure that we have, you know, visas, uh, passport, you know, ways to get those who want to, you know, dissidents and humanitarians and human rights activists who want to flee Hong Kong, how can we get them to to Britain, the United States, Canada, places like that? To my to my core, I've always believed that free market capitalism is the best path to prosperity. Quoting my old friend Larry Kudlow, and whether you agree with Larry politically or not really doesn't matter. That one statement of his is absolutely brilliant. Free market capitalism is the best path to prosperity. Absolutely true, and China is not moving in a free market capitalistic structure at all, and they don't care, they're just moving in an all for China structure. Let's go uh, move uh, domestically now, Dan. Uh, the Senate is getting ready to go out on, uh, well, Congress is getting ready to go out on recess in the next few days. Uh, they're gonna be out for quite a while, I think. It's a couple of weeks, isn't it, this next recess? Yeah, through the 4th of July, yes through the 4th of July. So we haven't gotten this infrastructure bill. Are we going to get it? Or is this something that they're going to leave to reconciliation? Or does it happen at the end of the summer or September or October? When? No, we're coming to the fork in the road on whether there's that bipartisan deal on hard infrastructure. And the, the two uh, red lines, look, the, the White House and Democrats, I don't think they're going to accept the amount of reprogramming of COVID money that Republicans want to use to pay for this. The, the pay for red lines are there. Last week, we talked about the gas tax. Both sides have moved away from this. You know, the honest truth is that Bernie Sanders is the one most concerned about this process, because again, a bipartisan deal takes away pressure for the big, uh, the big package through reconciliation. 
Yet at the same time, Bernie actually probably has the easiest answer for this entire bill, which is we don't care about how we pay for it now because it's an infrastructure bill and hard infrastructure, you can worry about the, the pay-fors and the economic effect down the road. So ultimately that's the, that's the challenge there is like I said, finding the pay-fors as well as the, you know, the question of what gets done now in a bipartisan hard infrastructure of about a trillion and what's the other 2.5 trillion that the Democrats want to get through on reconciliation? So if I'm if I'm a Democrat, Dan, uh, and I want to get a bunch of stuff through on reconciliation, it really behooves me. It seems to me it's in my interest to get some sort of a deal done with the Republicans now in a bipartisan way that I don't have to jam in later, and I can really have a little more flexibility when I go to reconciliation. I only have one bar more bite at the apple this year. So why wouldn't they take what they get can get now from the Republicans, agree to this, and go get more later? Because it's not that they're not worried. It's not that they're worried about the Republicans so much as they're worried about the moderate Democrats, Manchin, Cinema, and there's others, Kelly, uh, Tester, who I would argue are quietly hoping that there's a bipartisan deal. But the progressives are concerned that the moderate Democrats aren't going to go along with them when it's the 50-50 vote for reconciliation, because you can't lose Tester, you can't lose cinema. And look, if the, down the road, look, we may see that the, Repu the Democrats do do this uh, reconciliation vote and we'll build building spaceports in Arizona and spaceports in West Virginia to, to get the pork out there. But that's, that's, the, that's the crux of this, is that the progressives and progressives in the House don't trust the moderate Democratic senators to be there on reconciliation down the road if the hard infrastructure is already taken care of. The reputation, though, that uh, President Biden has and had as a senator all those many years was he would kind of take what he could get and then come back again. And I don't I, I'm just sort of surprised to see that the Democrats aren't doing that now. And that's, and that's what I think Biden wants to do. And I think he will get Pelosi to that to that point uh, and some of the others. And I think that's also why you see the White House continuing to engage uh, very closely on these bipartisan discussions. They're not pulling back. They're not letting, you know, letting Congress hash this out. They're engaged, which which I think fits with that analysis. You do have a Biden who will get the deal he can get now and then hopefully get some more down the road. But again, the, just the logistics of that, the timing of that, as we've discussed, I don't see how that, you know, anything major gets uh, gets through. Uh, obviously, how many, how many more days do they have it. before they go on recess to get this done? They need to get this done this week before they go on the on 4th of July and longer. What stretch. are the what are the odds they get it done, Dan? Oh, I would say probably 25 percent they get it done. 25% they get it done before they the get recess. something agreed to by this, uh, this thing. Look, I, look, that's still pretty good odds by the Senate that we could have a, at least some bipartisan deal by the end of the week. But I, it, I just don't, you know, the Senate has a way of, of, of bogging things down and, and, and slowing you down and not for the better. When do we actually see an infrastructure bill in your opinion uh, that gets through it? We're gonna have to wait for reconciliation. No, I think we if we get this bipartisan deal, it's sort of a, a flowchart. If you do get this bipartisan deal, we start to see the terms of something before the August recess. We get a, a package through and in through August of the of, of a bipartisan nature. If you do get that bipartisan deal, 
if it is on, uh, you know, if this bipartisan deal breaks through and then you've got something on reconciliation, I would be shocked if you do that before August, just because of all the, the you know, the ducks in a row you need to get, the budget, the one shot you've got at this and right. all that stuff, just right. that takes time. And the reconciliation deal for them to actually get something through there, and that will be the, that will be the legislation that has the increased taxes in it, correct? We don't see increased taxes until we see that bill, correct? No, yeah, because anything, any, again, any bipartisan bill, you know, any major tax increases are already a red line for the Republicans. We've gotten rid of the potential gas tax hike. So nothing in the bipartisan bill has any major tax implications. When might that be? So you think that you were saying uh, last week or the week before that you thought it was probably still going to be September or October before we could get that bill passed. That would, I, I still, uh, yeah, I still see that that time frame. Yeah. Okay. Well, we're going to be we're going to be watching that uh, very closely, Dan. Over the course of the summer here, Dan, anything that you've got your eye on beyond what we're talking about here? Because uh, I mean, that's not that it's not enough, uh, but just when we read the newspapers, we like to know what we should be paying attention to. Yeah. No, I think certainly, look, we need to pay attention to the, the administration is walking a very careful tightrope on the southern border issue right now. Yes. There's yes. Uh, there's pressure to secure it. The There's a, a definite humanitarian and security challenge there, and as well as the fact that we are going to have to start processing again the uh, all those immigration applicants, asylum applications that have been put off because of the pandemic. That that demand hasn't gone away, and it's going to be a significant challenge. Vice President Harris, she is going to the border, um, but I, you know, I think how much can one photo op do when this is a longer-term systemic challenge? We've talked about this. This is something where Congress needs to act in the long run to address uh, address immigration, and it's it's a challenge. The other thing. Uh, I would be continuing to keep an eye on is, is the administration is going to be talking a lot about crime. The headlines we're seeing about gun violence, murders in cities. Uh, look, the, the crime, violent crime and murders are up across cities. We haven't seen a wholesale spike in crimes, but definitely homicides, gun crime. And it's going to be an emphasis of this administration to get ahead of this because a long, hot summer, uh, particularly to Democrats, are learning more and more. The, the, the message of defund the police uh, does not work uh, when you see these headlines about crime. And so they, if they want to be on good footing for 2022, they need to get ahead of this. Dan Mahaffey from the Center for the Study of the Presidency and Congress, and of course, the senior political analyst on the Farcast. Dan, thanks so much for being with us again this week. Ladies and gentlemen, that's it for another week of the Farcast. We will be back next week once again with you trying to make sense of what's going on on Wall Street, Washington, and the world. In Washington, D.C. Wow, it's been a while since I was able to say that. In Washington, D.C., I'm Michael Farr. See you next week. Bye. We appreciate you listening in to this week's edition of the Farcast, and thanks to Michael's guests, Stephanie Link and Dan Mahaffey. We love hearing from you every week, and we try to respond to all of your notes and suggestions. You can reach us at hjennings at farmiller.com. Let us know any questions you have and topics you'd like to hear us cover. The Farcast comes to you weekly 
and is produced by Michael Farr and Harry Jennings and is available for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and all major podcast platforms. We'd like to remind you that the Farcast podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be considered legal or financial advice. The information, statements, comments, views, and opinions expressed provided in this podcast, including by speakers who are not officers or employees or agents of Farm Miller in Washington, are not necessarily those of Farm Miller in Washington or any firm any of our guests may represent and may not be current. Any mention of a specific security should not be construed as a recommendation to buy or sell. And please be aware that past performance is not a guide to the future performance of any security, index, fund, manager, or strategy. We strongly recommend you review with a financial professional before you make any investment decision. And if we can be of assistance at Farm Miller in Washington, please reach out to me at hjennings at farmmiller.com. We are here to help, and I'll be happy to put any of our listeners in touch with one of our investment professionals or a complimentary review of your portfolio and your investment goals. Take care, stay safe, and stay healthy. We'll be back with you next week. Go beyond the headlines every week with the Farcast. Wall Street, Washington, and the world. <laughs>